We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helpin. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Friday, December 15th. Derek Van Riper uh, at the wheel today. John McKechnie in for John Helpin. John Helpin having some internet issues, so John McKechnie gets to do extra work. It's the week of internet issues yes. ac- across the country, and you know, Mr. Halpin, unfortunately, has been affected, but the podcast will not lose any John uh, qu- quantity. I'm still here as a John to fill in. That's that's the rule. We have to replace Helpin with another John every time we make a substitution. Uh, fortunately, Helpin's internet issues are unrelated to the other internet issues that have been presented this week. <laughs> Lots to talk about today. This podcast, of course, sponsored by FanDuel. We're going to break down some players we like from both a season-long and a DFS perspective. But first, we're going to celebrate the return of Aaron Rodgers, which, you know, if you survived this season without Rodgers, maybe it's because you had Carson Wentz as a cheap QB2, or you've just been streaming really effectively and picking on the Houston defense whenever possible. <laughs> but if you made it this far, you're probably playing him this week, unless your situation's ridiculous. And I think the value he brings to the table comes more from making Jordy Nelson a viable play again than anything else. I mean, 
Rodgers should just be himself again. But Jordy Nelson was so bad when Rodgers was gone that you you shouldn't have been starting him, even though these last two weeks against the Browns and Bucks, the matchups were so good that you still kind of steered that way anyway. Right. And, you know, you you watch more of the Packers than I do, but still, I mean, it's no secret that uh, the way in which the offense was run under Hunley, uh, just not nearly as effective. And, and you know, Devontae Adams was still able to be a competent, you know, wide receiver for a fantasy aspect, uh, even with uh, Hunley as a quarterback. But yeah, Nelson being back, or uh, Rodgers being back definitely helps Nelson the most. I think it makes Nelson like a legit, uh, like wide receiver two coming into this week. Um, but what are your expectations overall, though? Because, the, you know, it's not just the rust factor here that I'm worried about with Rodgers. Um, it, it's the, uh, it's the matchup here going against a Panthers team that, you know, Case Keenum looked pretty good against them in Carolina last week, but still, this is a tough Carolina defense that, that's top five against the run and it's top 10 against the pass, according to DVOA. I think the more recent trends for the pass defense lend themselves to the Packers being able to throw pretty effectively against Carolina. They do have some interesting players and in coverage. I think that could make the matchup more difficult for Adams and Nelson than a typical matchup. But the presence of Rodgers is enough to offset that, where I'm not worried about it too much. I think even if the Packers' offense plays well, the problem they're going to have to deal with is Cam Newton and Devin Funches mm-hmm. and Christian McCaffrey. I think the Packers' run defense is still pretty solid, but it the is. pass defense leaks terribly, and that's where they could be in trouble. It could just be a shootout where the last team to get the ball wins. We've seen the Packers struggle with mobile quarterbacks for years. I don't really see a reason to think things are going to be any different this time around. Yeah, the Packers are definitely going to need to be putting up points because, like you said, that, that Packers secondary is going to lend itself to to Carolina uh, moving the ball pretty effectively. And, and the Cam Newton uh, rushing factor, uh, we've seen it the last few weeks with him ripping off really long runs, You know, kind of reminiscent of his rookie season. Um, that, that just adds a completely other other wrinkle, which I think is a really important for, for Carolina considering, you know, they did lose Calvin Benjamin to a trade earlier in the season. And kind of made, and with Greg Olson just not being Greg Olson, it, it kind of turned that offense into, you know, Devin Funches, Christian McCaffrey or bust. Um, but the Cam Newton ru- rushing element has kind of uh, lifted that offense uh, more than I think most people were expecting. Now, of course, as a Packer fan, that game is number one on my list of games I want to watch this weekend. It's a must win for Green Bay Uh, and watching Rodgers play is fun. Anyway, as you look at this slate, what game or what couple games are you most excited about? I got a couple Saturday games this week. You know, the Monday night matchup's not bad, but I don't think it's among the three best games of the week or anything like that. Like for me, the Saturday game between the Chargers and Chiefs is really interesting. That may decide the winner of the AFC West when it's all said and done. So that one's pretty high up on my list. And then you look at the Sunday afternoon matchups, you know, Seattle taking on the Rams, uh, home game for Seattle. That makes things pretty tough for the Rams. And then you look at the other late afternoon game, the Patriots and the Steelers. I mean, that one from an over under perspective is supposed to be the highest scoring game of the week. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are kind of the money fantasy matchups. And then, you know, digging a little bit, uh, deeper. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is is for Philadelphia. I think that going against the Eagle or uh, against the Giants is kind of an interesting litmus test to see uh, how this offense is going to be able to function the rest of the season uh, without Carson Wentz. But you know, Zach Ertz being back, I think that helps uh, Nick Foles' case. You know, having a guy sure-handed uh, target in the intermediate passing game, I think that really helps things. Not, it's not necessarily like your favorite game to watch, but I think from a fantasy aspect, there, there's going to be a fair bit to be you know. Taken away from that one, um, 
then moving yeah moving forward that's the Saturday games are pretty interesting I think the Bears Lions game is is sneakily pretty interesting and I know you're an NFC North guy so there, there's some intrigue there especially regarding the Lions and with the way the Bears have been playing lately a little bit you know pull, pull themselves up by the bootstraps I think that they could potentially uh play spoiler here this weekend honestly yeah, it kind of punched Andy Dalton and the Bengals in the face yeah, last week so maybe they got another one in them going on the road to Detroit on Saturday so a lot of good matchups up and down we're going to talk about some of the injury information we have received over the course of today DeAndre Hopkins has missed practice on two consecutive days to end the week due to a toe injury uh, even with that Sarah Bishop of ESPN reporting that Hopkins is expected to try and play against the Jags. It's a tough matchup. TJ Yates is at quarterback. Hopkins has played so well this year. You can't really imagine sitting him down if he's active. But what do you do from a daily perspective? Do you get excited about him as a expensive player who could still produce even in a difficult spot and do it at a low ownership rate, or are there enough red flags here for you to say it's just too risky, and if somebody pulls it off and he does play well, you just tip your cap to them? Um, I think that that his GPP appeal definitely um, is still there. Um, I think I think the fact that he's like the second most expensive receiver behind Antonio Brown this week, um, that's gonna he's going to be lower owned than usual just based on this matchup alone and I think the toe issue is going to you know drive that down even further it's still probably going to be you know in the 10 to 15 percent range you know there's not going to be a full public fate of of Hopkins by any means but I think from a cash game perspective uh he Hopkins becomes a a pretty risky move uh but but in tournaments I think that he's definitely interesting I think that um he's still going to end up seeing uh enough targets and the way like how sure-handed he is I don't see him like particularly struggling and we, we saw this Jaguar secondary that's very revered get some get beat for some big plays this past week um, so I, I think that 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 could be in play I know that uh, the Texans quarterback play obviously not nearly as good as what Ro- Russell Wilson brings to the table but I still think Hopkins overall uh, you're definitely starting him in your season long they really really the only concern for me would be in the cash game uh, context looking at Leonard Fournette He's the other really big-name player whose status is somewhat up in the air, and Fournette didn't practice at all this week. At least Hopkins was out there on Wednesday. Uh, Fournette's considered questionable, has not been ruled out. It's a quad injury. Jeff Stotts described it as a contusion when we had him on the XM show, and Jeff seemed pretty confident that Fournette's going to be fine and that he's going to play despite the absences this week. Now, anytime that happens, you check the inactives before kickoff, make sure nothing changes. If Fournette plays, do you back off your projection for him at all? Or do you think it's a little bit like the matchup against Cleveland a few weeks ago where if they're playing him, they're just going to play him the way they normally would? Like they wouldn't risk it if they really thought there was something wrong with him. You know, I think it's also important to to at least think about what Fournette said a few weeks ago regarding his ankle, where he said, you know, this is going to be something I kind of just deal with the rest of the season. So that there's that in play. Obviously, he ran uh, really well uh, last week. I'm just I'm concerned about Fournette uh, from a from a daily perspective. I, I think for season long you, you're still playing him as long as he as long as he's playing. But I, I have tempered expectations because you know say what you will, will about Houston, they can still stop the run reasonably well. And with the way that Blake Bortles has been playing lately, you know, kind of rehashing his 2015 form and looking like an NFL quarterback a little bit, um, they don't need to just run Fournette into the ground this week. Yeah, I felt like an idiot because my. Default lineup on FanDuel when I first built it out this week had Bortles as the quarterback. 
basically because Houston's been so bad against the pass. And that's right. Uh, the Fournette factor kind of pushes things even more in Bortles' favor if they can't run Fournette 25 times, if they only run him 15 times and sprinkle in some Chris Ivory or TJ Yeldon or just throw the ball more. Mm-hmm. Bortles' floor creeps up just a little bit. Maybe they throw a little more in the red zone than they ordinarily would. So there's a few things that could make Bortles even more valuable if they do, in fact, limit Leonard Fournette. Uh, if you were choosing between Ivory and Yeldon as kind of a tournament dart or perhaps a replacement, if we were to get some surprising news that Fournette's not going to play, you know, which of those two backups do you like better? It seems like the coaching staff uh, likes Ivory a little bit more. Um, so he he seems to be uh, the move there. But the way I see this, if it ends up being a situation where Fournette is ultimately ruled out on Sunday, uh, for for a daily perspective, this kind of turns into fool's gold, but picking between a Yeldon and an Ivory. I, I don't really see where this sets up particularly well for either of them, even if uh, the, you know, the floor is increased with the increased touches. Like I said, Houston is still pretty tough against the run, even without J.J. Watt. They, they're still good in that uh, regard. So I don't think either of them end up having a particularly good day, even if uh, Fournette ends up being out. So I, I think that would be a trap. Kyle Rudolph appears to be on his way to getting ruled out. He's listed as doubtful to play against the Bengals. I believe David Morgan is the backup tight end. But I think if Rudolph's not out there, it just means extra targets are going in the direction of Adam Thielen and or Stephon Diggs. Right, yeah. So uh, there's there's no way that you're using Minnesota's backup tight end this week. I mean, you'd have to be extremely, extremely desperate in like a gigantic, you know, like 16 team league in order for that to make any sort of sense. So yeah, the the target funnel just shrinks a little bit. It's just going to go more to uh, Thielen and Diggs. Uh, maybe they run the ball a little bit more. Maybe they maybe they get uh, more targets to like a Jarek McKinnon uh, type of deal. But yeah, th- this should be um, very focused towards towards Diggs and Thielen. And I think that th- this is going to be an absolute stomping from the Vikings. I think they're going to they're got a bad taste in their mouth after last week. They want to get themselves right, and you know who better to do it against than, than the Bengals at home. Vikings are favored by ten and a half. Over under is only forty two, but the implied total is the fourth highest on the board. So you have you know the Saints who are projected to win a high scoring blowout up near thirty two points implied. The Patriots at 28 and a quarter. The Falcons, who are not a part of the main DFS slate as part of the Monday night game, at 27 and a half. And then you have the Vikings. And yet, I haven't really seen or heard a lot of chatter about the Vikings being a team to stack. Or you know, maybe you go a combo where you go Keenum with, heck, Latavius Murray might be the guy that you like the most in the backfield this week. Because if they're favored by 10 plus, him getting 15 to 20 carries again is part of the narrative that makes a lot of sense. Right. I, I think last week we, you can look at the at the carry totals and the snap totals uh, between both McKinnon um, and Latavius Murray, and it, it just was like way off. And I think that's because the Vikings were uncharacteristically playing catch-up. I think that this week w- when uh, Minnesota kind of just gets itself into the driver's seat early um, in, the, in this one, I think both of those guys push for double-digit carries. And I think, you know, Murray... Uh, seems to have the lion's share when when uh, the Vikings are running the ball. Um, so I think he's going to see 15-plus carries this week. I think McKinnon pushes for 10 and then also mixes in three, four, five catches as well. So I think both these guys are viable, just at di- slightly different levels. I think McKinnon more the flex, M- Murray more like an RB2. 
couple players have already been ruled out. Amari Cooper has got that ankle injury. Adrian Peterson is now on IR. He has a neck injury, so a lot of Kerwin Williams expected. Yes, sir. Uh, the matchup is against Washington. Kerwin Williams, I believe, is 5,500 on FanDuel this week. Probably more of like an RB2 or a flex when it comes to season long because the volume should be there. They're not letting him catch a lot of passes, which is a bit of a concern, even though I think he can do it, at least at a level similar to like a DJ Foster. But when you look at Kerwin Williams, do you see enough upside to think about using him in tournaments? Because while I like the volume from a season-long perspective, I don't know if I would consider him a viable GPP option since I don't think he can do more than take 18 carries for 70 yards and maybe find the end zone once. Right. The the issue there is really kind of like your roster construction, your line of construction, um, because there is some value to be had at running back that that's not Kerwin Williams. You know, it, I think the trendiest one this week is going to be Kenyon Drake. He's like mid six thousands, uh, so he's going to be really really high owned. Uh, Alex Collins in this in the similar boat, but he's got a much tougher matchup going against Cleveland. So I would actually fade Collins. I, I think like I I might move Kerwin Williams ahead of Collins if I if I was making a lineup with, with that with those type of like value running backs. Um, I think you make an interesting point regarding just the, the sort of upside that Kerwin Williams has or doesn't have. Um, but when he's going to be seeing the, you know, the absolute bulk of the, of the touches and the carries out of that backfield, I feel pretty good about him getting like at least 12, like uh, daily fantasy points or something like that. As far as Kenyon Drake goes, his teammate, Damian Williams is officially doubtful. He was limited in practice earlier in the week did not practice at all Friday, so it looks like Drake is going to get a pretty heavy workload again going up against the Buffalo defense. It's been getting shredded in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. The snowy conditions we saw last week in Buffalo uh, don't appear likely for this Sunday. I think I saw like a 7% chance of precipitation. Wind is not in the forecast right now. And game time temperatures are supposed to be in the mid-20s, so Balmy. downright pleasant for Buffalo for mid-December. That bodes well, I think, for Kenyon Drake. I mean, he's had a ton of carries these last two games, and he's also involved in the passing game if they were to mm-hmm. fall behind. So while I could see the case for fading Collins, you know, Cleveland has at times looked good against the run this year. I think they're healthier now at tackle than they were in the last few weeks, so that could make a pretty big difference too. I look at the Kenyon Drake situation as just good chalk that it's much harder to walk away from yeah it's definitely good chalk and and, you know to your point uh with buffalo's defense um you know frank gore ran all over them last week i think that you know that just sort of happens when you when you feed frank gore what like 36 times or something last week you can kind of throw it out the window uh for the most part but buffalo still checks in at 24th against the run in terms of dvoa on football outsiders so you know bottom third of the league um in terms of stopping the run uh losing marcel darius uh has been a huge loss for them in terms of stopping the run and it's been a huge gain for jacksonville you know before earlier in the season I, i think a lot of people would target jacksonville's defense with running backs uh you can't really do that as much uh, now that they have Darius um, so long, long roundabout way of saying uh, I, I love Kenyon Drake this week I think he, he's easily a top 10 back I think you know maybe not top five but still you know there's arguments to be made he's he, the role plus just kind of how fresh he is because he wasn't used a whole lot earlier in the season it just bodes well to him kind of being a kingmaker for, in a lot of leagues this year it was weird that Kenyon Drake wasn't even on like sleeper lists or deep sleeper lists as somebody who could emerge if the guy in front of him got hurt we expect so much from Jay Ajayi in Miami coming into the season and kind of thought well if Damian Williams is there it's a timeshare at best Drake has to have exceeded expectations 
that even the most optimistic, Bama-loving Kenyon Drake fan could have possibly had for him. If you watch him at Bama, it's like, okay, this guy's really good at football, but you don't really see him being like a like an NFL running back it didn't really look like that at all uh, when he was running behind Derrick Henry it, he was always making plays on special teams and things like that so he's a valuable member of of your roster but it never at any point really hinted at, at like th- him becoming this this early in his career like the, the athleticism's there if you look at his combine uh, the numbers the, the metrics are all really strong but it just it didn't really feel like he had the the running back sense about him um and he clearly ha- does have it, and it just was a matter of time and a matter of him getting the opportunity because, you know, when he was at Bama, Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon, and Derrick Henry were all ahead of him, so it's really tough to, to crack the pecking order uh, there. So now that he's got the chances, like, I, I'm in on Kenyon Drake. I, I was definitely a skeptic. I thought he'd be kind of like a, like a Matthew Slater type of player in the NFL, but he's really turned into, into something that you have to, you have to respect. Yeah, top 10 running back here down the stretch, which has been uh, a big difference maker, of course, in leagues where he was picked up and has been used, especially these last two games. Uh, On the other side of the Minnesota-Cincinnati matchup, Joe Mixon practiced fully on Friday. He is questionable to play against the Vikings, still in the league's concussion protocol, but making enough progress in practice where it looks like there's at least a chance that he'll be cleared to play on Sunday. I don't really like Mixon's matchup because the Vikings are good against the run and the pass, so there's still a lot of things game flow-wise that could go wrong, plus the matchup itself is not a good one. Yeah, there's very few leagues where I I do have a fair bit of exposure to to Mixon, um, but... I'm trying my hardest to not use him this week, if at all possible, because like you said, that Minnesota defense, really, really tough against the run uh, and the pass. And again, like you said, game script where Cincinnati probably going to be falling behind by a fair bit in this one. I I think that Cincinnati's on shutout watch, honestly. Um, So this really just doesn't bode well for Mixon. And, you know, the the way that Marvin Lewis has used him throughout the year, even when, you know, Jeremy Hill kind of fell out of the mix, it's still doesn't really seem like this sets up well for Mixon at all. few players that appear to be on track to return this week. Uh, looks like Tyrod Taylor is going to get the start against yep. the Dolphins on Sunday. He, of course, has been dealing with a knee injury uh, and did not play last week against the Colts. Missed out on a really nice matchup because the Colts have been so generous. But those conditions last week weren't really conducive to throwing the ball anyway. So... Nathan Peterman handed the ball off. It's that Tyrod Taylor didn't make that much of a difference. Right. Uh, Zach Ertz was out last week due to a concussion. It looks like he is going to be fine. He started practicing fully on Wednesday. So Ertz returns to a Philly lineup that, you know, with Nick Foles at quarterback, I think can be just fine, at least against the, the Giants this week. They go home in week 16 against the Raiders. Really two games where if you're thinking about Nick Foles as one of the replacements for Carson Wentz, he grades out pretty favorably because the matchups are both good. Yeah, so where did you land on, you know, if you were an, a uh, Wentz owner, um, where did you go to pick up your other quarterback? Was it Foles or was it a guy like Bortles? For this week, it would be Bortles because Houston is just that bad. I think the other thing about Bortles, if I'm not mistaken, he's got a good matchup in week 16 as well where um, – if I remember right, it's like San Francisco or something like that. I think you are. Yep, you are correct. And yeah. then Tennessee to end it. Oh, yeah. So Tennessee in 17, too. So even that isn't bad if you're playing through 17. So Bortles had multi-week appeal 
Foles at least this week, but I think the next two is viable. Uh, the other name that I think people were, were throwing out there, there was one league, somebody sent me a question. They said Matt Ryan was available. Like must have been like a 10-team league or something where he got dropped. Matt Ryan has Tampa Bay this week, which is a great matchup. Yeah, that makes Matt Ryan a top-five quarterback in my mind. And the Saints on the road next week, and as much as the Saints' defense has improved, you could see it being a case where Matt Ryan has to throw the ball 45 times in Week 16. So if, if that was an option, I think that's pretty high up on the list as well. So I think if you're looking at Foles, you know, behind obviously a Matt Ryan, but also behind uh, even a Bortles, because I think the setup for Bortles these next two games is is really that favorable. I think it gets really tough if you're looking at him versus like a Jimmy Garoppolo, because with Garoppolo you're still not enthralled with the weapons that he's got at his disposal. Right. Uh, he's played you know, well so far, nine yards per attempt this year in the three games he's appeared in, which is basically two starts and a drive, give or take. But uh, 334 in a TD last week against Houston and uh, being home against Tennessee, I mean, I think at least for this week I like him. He gets the Jags at home in Week 16, so if you pick up Garoppolo to replace Wentz, you're probably looking elsewhere in Championship Week if you win this week. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, you you, you do need to have the the uh, foresight, especially uh, with Week 16 in mind th- this time of year. So while while Garoppolo could be a band aid for this week. Uh, you'd certainly w- want to use someone else going against the Jaguars. I mean, uh, Garoppolo, for uh, for as good as he's been, I think a, a spot where he's facing one of the most fearsome defenses in the league, that's a whole nother level of challenge that he's going to have to face. So, uh, uh, you know, he'd be, you know, I think past the QB 12 type of threshold uh, heading into next week. So fine for this week, but but you'd, you'd really want to look uh, somewhere else that next week. And then, you know, going back to the Wentz thing, um, a lot, in a lot of places where I where I ended up getting him, he was my he was my cheap quarterback too. Like kind of like you mentioned earlier in the show. So like in a lot of those places, I didn't have to go scrounging for for the Bortles types because I had drafted Philip Rivers and was like moderately impressed with him, or, or you know a Case Keenum, or I didn't draft Case Keenum, but you know there there were a lot of situations where if you lost Wentz, you not all was lost for you because he he wasn't drafted for you as a quarterback one. Right, you may have had him as kind of found money. In some cases, though, you may have cut your other quarterback. You may have flipped your other quarterback for some help as part of People a trade. Did that with like an Eli Manning type or something? Yeah. So it it really depended on how exactly uh, you came into the Carson Wentz shares. Uh, one other thought on the Eagles: How much do you alter your expectations for the running game? Do you give them a boost because you expect them to lean more heavily on the likes of Ajay and Corey Clement? Or do you actually make it kind of a, a lateral adjustment because the volume goes up and maybe the efficiency goes down since Foles is not as mobile as Wentz and teams can play different defensive packages against the Eagles expecting runs more often? Um, well, you know, last week, Ajayi, you know, I think is sort of the, the most interesting of those Philadelphia running backs. And he had his highest snap count of his Philadelphia career. Uh, he had 43 snaps. Uh, compare that to Legarrette Blunt, who only saw 15. So actually, Corey Clement outsnapped uh, Legarrette Blunt last week. So I think things are trending up for Ajayi. I think is is the big takeaway here. And I think that that continues this week going against the Giants and then Oakland. I think both those teams have crud defenses both against the run and the pass but uh run, you know the run is what we're talking about here so i think this bodes well for ajayi i think philadelphia is going to start kind of using him to to where 
we all expected them to for what they gave up draft capital wise to go get him. So yeah. I'm, I'm bullish on Najayi the rest of the season. And I, I don't really say that usually because he's a guy that I had like zero shares of for season long. I was not buying the Ajayi in the first round type of deal, but um, right now uh, the way things are going, he he's a guy that you, you can definitely start the rest of the way. I like him quite a bit for next year too, because I like the Eagles offensive line. I mean, not having Wentz for the first half of next season, if not a little longer, uh, kind of hurts the offense as a whole in terms of how much you expect them to score. You think, he, you think he's going to be out that long? I mean, I think an ACL, I know we've seen ACL recoveries get sped up in the last couple of years, but I just think you can't bank on him returning a lot sooner and playing at the same level. I mean, he, he might come back and have to be more of a pocket passer initially and, and not really take off and run, and I think that just changes a lot about his game, even though he has the ability to stand in the pocket, make good, accurate throws. He has the arm strength. I think part of what makes him next level good is his ability to move the pocket and then mm-hmm. when plays break down to make plays happen with his legs folks if you haven't already check out FanDuel. got new contests starting every week if your championship week is week 15 or 16 or if you get bounced in the playoffs whatever it is FanDuel's still going up and through the playoffs too leagues start at just one dollar you can pick a contest choose your team and watch your score in real time you got to get D.D. Westbrook this week, right? I mean, the price oh, is yeah. so good at that $5,700 price tag. The matchup is good. Houston's defense is atrocious right now. Even if you don't want to buy into Blake Bortles, which I understand hesitation to buy into Blake Bortles when you could find the extra 1000 bucks in your budget and, and have Russell Wilson at quarterback. I mean, Wilson's on fire right now. Mm-hmm. All that makes sense. D.D. Westbrook at 5700 opens up so much on your roster whether that's going after Antonio Brown getting Wilson uh, going after like a Gronk you need that salary relief absolutely and yeah Westbrook definitely becomes that 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 top uh value receiver coming into this week uh the last three weeks you know so he's played what like four games since since coming off ir uh 17 catches on 27 targets 235 yards and one touchdown the touchdown coming i believe last week uh so against seattle that that i think that speaks in even greater volume and then uh like we let off with the show houston just really stinks uh and as far as its secondary goes so uh with, with alan hearns being out uh this this turns into a situation where westbrook should push for at least nine targets again and i think he can turn those into some serious production for you especially from that price tag yeah target floor really good for a player under six thousand dollars you know he's he's just been better than than i I think Mario uh, Puig, who, who's kind of like the lead draft analyst here, uh, and myself both both thought because checking in, you know, undersized, especially when it comes to weight, you know, you, you, he's under 180 pounds, so you just don't expect him to be able to to get off of you know press coverage and thing like things like that. But he was showing it really impressively in the preseason. Then he gets hurt, and you kind of forget about him, and then he's back and he's he's making plays despite that. So he's you know he. He's just a gamer right now, and he's he's doing it well. Yeah, I thought it was kind of fluky in the preseason, but he's proven in these last few weeks that he can play at the NFL level. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. You'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription plus a free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than $1 million in cash prizes with your first deposit on FanDuel. Again, just visit fanduel.com slash RW, void where prohibited. 
as you start looking position by position, the players you really love for this week. Let's start at the quarterback spot. I mean, Russell Wilson should be the highest projected scoring quarterback. He's 8,400, so you got Brady, Rodgers, and uh, Breeze either equal or above his price. But the Brady-Rothsberger matchup looks great if you want to pay up that way. Wilson looks like he's great. I'm a little hesitant on Breeze. I think I the, would be too. the game script could be run, 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 because I think the Jets with Bryce Petty are going to have no chance moving the ball against that Saints defense. Uh, Cam, I mentioned before, the the Packers have had a lot of trouble with mobile quarterbacks. The secondary has been weak for a few weeks now. They've had injuries they've been dealing with as well. So even though Carolina is not the most deep and talented group of pass catchers, I still think Cam can present a lot of trouble for the Green Bay defense. So I'm really going kind of high end for the most part at quarterback this week with exceptions like Bortles against Houston. And uh, maybe there's a case to be made for you know, like a punt play on Deshaun Kaiser or something along those lines. I think that, you know, and this isn't just the the Ravens fan talking, like uh, I, I think this that Kaiser, the way he plays is so turnover prone, and that that's kind of where the Ravens defense tends to feed. Um, so, you know, Roethlisberger just didn't make any mistakes last week, whereas Kaiser is going to make mistakes. So I worry about uh, the turnover potential there. I mean, I, I probably would have – like even a Joe Flacco ahead of Kaiser this week, not to, not to like aggressively disagree there. It's um, I just feel like maybe like a, a Jameis Winston w- w- is someone that maybe people are going to be forgetting about, I guess on the main slate, uh, he's not going to be there, but he, he, he's someone that, that's kind of interesting going against uh, Atlanta's uh, secondary. And I think Matt Ryan too uh, is, is a nice play too. Yeah. I mean, Foles at 6,000, I think makes even more sense than Kaiser. Okay, yeah. But I think with Kaiser, if he makes those mistakes, I just like that he's got Coleman and Gordon. True. I I think he could throw three picks and get to attempt 35 passes. He's got the running ability. Uh, And Jimmy Smith is out for the Ravens, right? We saw what happened there last week. I mean, they gave up over 500 yards through the air. Yeah, so I I think what you get from Kaiser uh, is kind of what you said, where he will make mistakes, and the Ravens are going to capitalize on that because that's what they do. But if the Ravens go up two touchdowns, then it's Deshaun Kaiser just dropping back and firing extra targets mm-hmm. in the direction of two very talented receivers. Yeah, I mean, if, we, if we're looking at a situation where rookie Marlon Humphrey is lined up on Josh Gordon for, for you know, the bulk of this game, or a guy like Brandon Carr, who I, I have my doubts about him being able to keep up with Gordon, uh, either way you slice it, I think if Gordon gets that, that double-digit target threshold that we all expect, uh, I think that... You know, even if you wanted to just do a one-off uh, of the Browns with, with Gordon, it's going to work. I, I think he's he's due for a nice day. I think he's almost matchup proof here. Looking at running backs, I mean, no hesitation in paying the, the freight for for Le'Veon Bell. He's just he is what he is at this point. Uh, Elvin Kamara's back from his concussion. He's ninety-one hundred. Do you kind of have a, a better feel for Ingram this week since? The Saints could pretty easily open up a big lead and then decide to rest Kamara coming off the concussion. Yeah, that 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 really does make sense. So, um, and, and then you you toss in the the price tag there. I, I think both of those New Orleans runners are going to see a, f- a fair bit uh, of work because, like we like we said, Saints build that early lead and then you know they just kind of run out the clock from there. So I worry about um, the overall play total for for New Orleans here. So at ninety one hundred for Kamara. I'm probably not 
not going for it this week. I think in season long, you, you have to play him. Uh, you know, don't be scared off from what happened in that Atlanta game. It was just kind of like a freak accident where someone just like rammed their helmet into his. Um, so I, I like Camara this week, but I, I think you make an interesting point regarding uh, Mark Ingram maybe being the New Orleans running back to target in daily. As I mentioned earlier, having a hard time fading Kenyon Drake right now at 6,500 on FanDuel. Love him in season long. If he's one of your pickups, it'd be almost impossible to sit him down. You have to be really loaded at running back to even think about it in those formats. Uh, you're stacking. You're, you said you were going to fade Alex Collins before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, the Ravens, um, you know, Collins has been running really well, but the Browns have been really good against the run this year. I know that, you know, and you saw it firsthand last week uh, with, with the Packers that Jamal Williams was able to, you know, put up a pretty strong uh, game against uh, against that Browns front. But I still uh, I still believe in that Browns run defense overall. And I think the Ravens offensive line, uh, you know, no Yonda, uh, I think that just kind of hurts the overall effectiveness of the run game. And then you also have to look out for the fact that, you know, they, they do like to use Danny Woodhead and Buck Allen. So that that cuts down on Collins's, um, you know, overall uh, workload. So I think, you know, you see, I think Collins is like fairly priced, but I just, I'm not excited about using him, especially when you have Ken Drake right there too. Yeah, Drake, by comparison, you know, has much higher projection, even though Collins, I think, has scored in four consecutive games yes. now. I do like Ajayi a little bit at 6,100. I think he makes a lot of sense, especially in tournaments. The ownership rate could be, uh, reasonable on him despite the low price and then um, what do you think of Mike Davis at 5800 I mean the work he's been getting when healthy and that's the key when healthy uh, makes him kind of appealing because if they lean heavily on him we saw last week that Rams defense isn't real strong against the run no that, that is a really good point because yeah that if the Rams do have a weakness in, in its defense uh, it is against the run um, so this is a situation where if if it makes sense, like if it goes to to Mike Davis seeing the the amount of carries that that we would hope that he will, then then I think he becomes a nice play, and I, I like the way that he's been running, uh, averaging over four yards a carry the last uh, couple of weeks, um, with with some big plays mixed in there, you know, a couple of runs over twenty yards. Uh, I like the way he runs in terms of his pad level. He runs aggressively. I think that fits well. Um, so really, it's just a, a question of does Seattle. Uh, run it enough uh, to make him viable so I guess it boils down to me I'm probably not using him in in daily I could see the appeal uh, but I I just can't quite get there especially with with some of the other running backs in that neighborhood price wise yeah I think my main two based on pricing and what I want to do with the rest of my lineup right now Drake and Ajayi believe it or not as the uh, the best combination of value and that opens up a lot I mean I've got a, a brown gronk Russell Wilson trio to go with it too it opens up a lot of cash because as I said before D.D. Westbrook at wide receiver at 5700 I have to do it hopefully it's like a 60 to 70 yards and a touchdown kind of floor Houston's been so soggy against the pass and I think that's going to continue this week Uh, as far as other receivers you like it's a weird week pricing wise because on the main slate no Mike Evans no Julio Jones, so that takes a couple guys away. Mm-hmm. Uh, no Crabtree, no Dez, which Dez would be pretty interesting going up against Oakland. And Crabtree with no Amari uh, Cooper. Yeah, so you get more targets going in the direction of Crabtree, but they're not part of the main slate either, so you got to make sure you choose a slate to include that game if you want any of those receivers. 
And then, of course, the two Saturday games takes away some so options. No Keenan Allen, no Ty Hill. No, no Lions receivers. Usually Tate or Jones looks pretty interesting in most matchups. And that thins things out a lot. Robbie Anderson, I don't think, is viable at all with no. Bryce Petty. Gosh. So he's kind of out. What a what a bummer because Anderson was had the look of like basically being the Kenyon Drake of wide receivers where like if you scooped him or if you if you you know took a late round flyer on him just stashed him on your bench till he starts producing it's like oh my god this is this guy's going to carry me he's basically uh my wide receiver too all of a sudden uh but now with Bryce Petty I just don't really buy Bryce Petty uh just being an NFL quarterback at this point so that it's going to be brutal I think that would have been a tough matchup even with McCown uh because I think the Saints secondary is so talented so th- this really sets up poorly for Robbie Anderson yeah so it picks away a lot of options you don't like AJ Green default. this week either because you know, of roads at yeah 7700 like it's still kind of sketchy yeah Mario wanted to do that I, d- I don't see it I I think the Minnesota defense can just put so much extra attention on AJ Green right now the Bengals' offensive line is terrible. Mm-hmm. So I just imagine the Vikings' pass rush going crazy in this game and, and basically putting so much pressure on Andy Dalton and or A.J. McCarron, potentially, to the point where A.J. Green's not going to be able to run run like full routes. You know, He's not going to have time to get separation because the plays are going to break down so quickly. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a really excellent point. I think what, what Minnesota has in its front seven and the 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 pressure it can generate just from the defensive line alone uh, really should be kind of keeping Marvin Lewis awake at night for the rest of this weekend because it, it's it could unless like Cincinnati really like adapts and does a uh, great quick passing offense all of a sudden then I don't see this uh, setting up well uh, for AJ Green or the Bengals whatsoever again I think they're on shutout watch I think the Jets are on shutout watch um, yeah there, there are a couple of teams out there that that are really in deep trouble this weekend so you look at the top it's Antonio Brown just like Bell where you're like sure go ahead he's 9300 and the matchup has shootout written all over it go ahead play him Michael Thomas is 8100 if you think a blowout's brewing up there not the target volume necessarily want, so that could be a deterrent. Thielen, blowout. Gordon, okay. Josh Gordon at 7,500, probably going to be popular. What about Brandon Cooks? Coming off a really bad game against no, that, Miami. Is everyone going to be going right back at him? Because Pittsburgh's been leaking some pretty big plays in that secondary. Right. And, you know, the last two weeks, if you want to include it with Cooks, you know, uh, having a three three point game uh, against the Bills. So, you know, that's particularly frustrating considering what he had been doing in the lead up to this little stretch. So it's hard to know definitively what we're going to get out of Brandon cooks on a given week. I think if, you know, in a season long context, you spent the draft capital on him, like you pretty much have to start him. And I think you bring up the good point uh, with the Steelers secondary, really just not being uh, all that great lately. Um, so that there is some appeal there, but I mean, with, with Hogan only getting more healthy and Gronk being back, do you think that that sort of muddles things even further for Cooks, really, is my question? I think it it actually makes things easier for Cooks because he's not a high-volume player anyway. Yeah. So anytime you have other threats on the field that draw attention, it means he's more likely to see single coverage or that the safety help might be just wrong, and then mm-hmm. he may get open for that big play downfield. So I think the the Cooks hype is probably warranted okay. in this particular matchup. But I've been a Cooks apologist all year, so I maybe I shouldn't be allowed to speak about him anymore. Uh, Devin Funches at 7,300 should be okay with that shoulder injury. I think he's pretty interesting. Uh, Elshon Jeffrey, okay, not great at 7,200. Doug Baldwin looks like a nice value 
at 7,100. The Rams' defense is is good, but if Russell Wilson's going to keep playing at that crazy high level, I don't really see the Rams being able to completely shut Doug Baldwin down. No, and you know this is a this is a home game for Seattle. Like everything points to Seattle's offense being able to put up some points, especially with. You know, the Rams are basically just in a war. I mean, both these teams were just in absolute wars last week. Both of those were, were some of the more entertaining games that we've been treated to this entire season. Um, so that this does set up well for, for both offenses, really. Um, but it, obviously, I, I give the lean to Seattle's offense. And Doug Baldwin, I think, is going to continue to have a, ni- a nice game here. Um, what do you do about him versus like a Jordy Nelson? Because they're a hundred dollars apart and we, we let off the show with Nelson, uh, his, you know, he's back from the, from the land of the dead here with Rogers back. So what, what do you make of it between these two? Baldwin in cash, uh, Nelson would be more of a GPP play. Okay. If you're looking at that price point, I mean, I think that's, it's kind of funny that Nelson's become like this volatile GPP guy, but <laughs> It, it, there's a little bit of uncertainty about Rodgers in his first game back. I'm not as worried about it as most people, but it's, it's legit. I mean, timing could be a little off with the wide receivers. Apparently, he looked good running the scout team last week, but how much stock can we really put in that? Sure. I mean, he probably looks good in practice all the time. Uh, some cheaper options. Diggs is a little more interesting with Kyle Rudolph out. 6800 is your price on him. Uh, Sammy Watkins going up against Seattle at 6400 Tournament only, I think, is mm-hmm. the, the way to go. I just think the the main problem I have with using Watkins overall is the target volume still, even when Robert Woods was out, was up and down quite a bit. Yeah. And Woods is supposed to play in this game. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that, re- like, Woods' return hurts Watkins like infinitely more than it hurts a Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup is still going to see the, those underneath move the chains uh, type of targets. And uh, I think that Watkins has been, you know, kind of touchdown dependent as far as his value this year. Um, so I'm, I've, I've had a lot of trouble using Watkins in, in daily this year. And I think this week is a definite situation where I'm not going after him. Who do you like at tight end? I mean, Gronk's coming off his one-game suspension. I think you got to go expensive at tight end this week. That's kind of where I'm at, too. I mean, the, the main lineup I have has Gronk in it. Ertz with Foles is a little less appealing. Even if the Eagles kind of handle the Giants like I expect them to, you don't think the Eagles are putting up 40 points. They're probably going to put up, like, 27. Mm-hmm. And maybe they take it easy with Ertz since he's coming off a concussion. Trey Burton's look good replacing him. So I'm lukewarm on Ertz, even though, like, in season long, I'd use him. Without hesitation, I'm just lukewarm on paying 7900 for him as the second most expensive yeah, when, tight end. Yeah, it's, and then you know you look at the way the rest of this board sets up, where you know, like you said, you're going after Gronk, and I don't I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, but apparently, um, you know, the times that, that the Patriots effectively give this give the Steelers a swirly, Gronkowski's you know kind of the main perpetrator, um, so, you know, and. Steelers don't have Ryan Shazier. He's, you know, a linebacker that can run in the four threes, uh, helping out on coverage. So that doesn't exist anymore. So you, you get like a Sean Davis uh, going on Rob Gronkowski. I think that Gronk is going to have maybe his biggest game of the season this year. And then Ertz is in the middle. And then for $1,200 less, you can get Jimmy Graham. For $1,200 less, you can get Jimmy Graham. Like that, it's like, it seems like almost a no-brainer to that, but like if you're going to be so overreactionary to what to Graham's goose egg last week, um, then you know I have I have several good bridges to sell you. If you had to pick a tight end on the board this week, under fifty five hundred or fifty five hundred or below, so you, you can have Austin Safarian Jenkins if you want going up against the Saints. If you had to go cheap, you just didn't have the money because you wanted to spend it everywhere else. 
They'd give you like Safarian Jenkins against the Saints, Julius Thomas against the Bills, Ricky Seals-Jones on the road against Washington. Redskins have had some trouble with tight ends. Who do you go to? I got one. Who is it? It's Ben Watson. Really? I know he his target volume totally dropped off last week. Only saw one, but I thought that you know that game uh, that's a Raven Steelers game. I don't think that really applies to most other t- games. And Cleveland, you know, I was singing their praises defensively earlier. That's only against the run. Against tight ends, they're absolutely dreadful. I think metrically, uh, maybe not for fantasy purposes, but just overall effectiveness and efficiency from tight ends. Uh, Cleveland's the worst at stopping tight ends. So I think if Baltimore gets into the red zone, I think Watson would be the would be the guy. I think you know it's a low floor. I, I'd be surprised if he gets over like twelve points, but I could see him having like three catches, one of them going for a touchdown. His so best. if you're punting tight end, I feel okay about it. Yeah, his best game of the year. Year, back in week two against the Browns, eight catches, eight targets, 91 yards, 13.1 points on FanDuel hasn't been uh, over 10 in any of the games since. So as you said, the the floor could be pretty bad, but the payoff might be pretty solid. Is that a, is that a cash call then? Like just the, I want to save money here, get the upgrade at quarterback and, and go like really expensive everywhere else. I mean, like the Jags defense is expensive. You mean, you mean like cash, cash game or just like in terms of just like punting one position period? No, I mean like actual cash game. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I can't like play with fire to that extent in a cash game i don't think like too, I think, too risky for cash it, more gpp centric yeah yeah i think you know as seals jones uh, i think you brought up an interesting point with with washington's uh struggles against opposing tight ends so like it he seals jones would probably be my other pick uh joe pizapia and i were talking earlier uh he likes jesse james on the other side of the uh steelers uh patriots game jesse james obviously coming off the best game of his career uh this past week so he's a little bit interesting um maybe david and joku too but that again you're, you're getting into like you really don't know what you're going to get uh, type of territory down here. But I swear to God, if Ben Watson ends up doing what what I just predicted, I'm going to walk into the office like LeVar Ball on, on Tuesday. Just, just all ridiculous with my arms flailing. It's going to be great. I am looking forward to that. Now I'm rooting for Ben Watson to go off. Let's just, go. Just so Let's go I can dogs. see that. Even if I don't even put Ben Watson into a lineup, I just I want to see entertaining things <laughs> at the office. Well, listeners to this podcast can get a free 10-day trial to Rotowire by going to rotowire.com slash pod, P-O-D, no credit card is required. With that, you can check out all the features on the site. We got Mario's film review article, we got DFS tools, we got weekly rankings, everything you need to get ready for week 15. As always, if you enjoy this podcast and haven't done it already, please take a few minutes to leave us a nice rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. It's greatly appreciated. It really goes a long way to support the work that we're doing here thanks to john for stepping in for john and uh, thanks to you guys for listening to this edition of the rotowire fantasy football podcast sponsored by fanduel our next episode is coming on monday john helpin's internet should be fixed by then so he and i will recap the whole week good luck in week 15